So the, uh, for those of you that are uh, new to our church, uh, there's just a lot of things happening. And for those of you that have been coming regularly but, but late, uh, there's a lot of things that are happening. And i just like to uh, catch you up and get you up to speed. I, 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 it's just been a remarkable week, actually. Uh, we've had uh, Lance took a whole bunch of our youth and, and our kids climbing Mount Monadnock uh, yesterday and seeking uh, in, to find some snow and, uh, and some high adventure. So, you know, if you're a kid in our church, uh, what a great thing. You can go out and, and hike and have adventure and, and do it in the uh, relative safety uh, uh, with Lance. It's relative uh, because, you know, hey, uh, it's what it is. But you know, what a fun event. So what a great thing for, for our kids to do. And uh, I'm particularly uh, impressed with those of you for Halloween that were part of the trunk and treats at Kalela's, just uh, blessing our town and, and trying to be uh, good news and a light uh, to uh, uh, the world in a time that sometimes is dark and doing something that's fun and, and wholesome and uplifting and uh, you guys just did a great job. Uh, what, a, what a great uh, turnout for that. And then uh, on an internal st- standpoint, Sue Birchman and her team uh, yesterday just did a terrific job for those of you that have a heart for prayer and, and you know, sort of the inside organism of the church. Uh, what a huge group of people turn out to uh, participate in that and w- what a fun morning that was. So uh, a lot happening and... Uh, Again, if, uh, if you're visiting us and you've been visiting us for a few uh, weeks or maybe months, uh, today, as Bernadette said, uh, she told you where we're meeting, but she didn't tell you for what reason we're meeting. 101 uh, is for those of you that are trying to figure out, uh, do you want to be a member here? Uh, do you want to make this your church? What does it mean to belong here um, do you have questions that you might want to ask me? Do you want to know who we are as a church? What's our vision? Where are we going? Uh, those are the topics that we talk about at 101, and we're doing it today at 12 o'clock, and if you haven't been, you're welcome. I do this once a quarter, so our, our next one will probably be uh, February or, or so. Uh, so if you can make it today from 12 until, uh, I think it was till 3, uh, encourage you to do that and join us. Uh, last week, Jeff uh, was sharing that Jeff, my wife Liz, and I were in Spain on a missions trip. And actually, originally, we I was going to speak at a conference in Spain. Uh, the vineyard churches in Spain got together in Barcelona, and uh, they had a weekend conference, and they asked me to speak Friday night. And then they asked me to speak Saturday morning. And uh, they had a, a guy, a pastor from England, speaking Saturday evening. And then a guy from Costa Rica uh, speaking the main session on Sunday. And it was to encourage the vineyard churches there. Now, uh, we've been going to Spain, uh, trying to do mission work there for 12 years. And uh, often it's felt very uh, unfruitful. Uh, it felt difficult. Uh, and, you know, you feel like you're just planting seeds or throwing out seeds and never seeing anything sprout. Uh, but this time was different. It seemed like all those seeds that we had thrown out and cast out uh, all sprouted at the same time. And so what I thought was just a conference 
uh, ended up being a whole lot more. Uh, I mean, we just saw God moving powerfully. We saw the vineyard churches really getting some traction. We saw, um, uh, in fact, Blake, why don't you throw up some of those photos up there and uh, I'll try and speak to some of them. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to this one. Go to another one. Got another one? <laughs> this is sort of a, got another one? All right, this is a good one. <laughs> that sort of felt like my trip. I, like Every day I thought we were just going to do this and ended up being like a big God moment. But uh, this is a meeting of all the pastors in Spain. And uh, this was after the conference at the church. And uh, it was really encouraging because these guys are all uh, kind of unified now and uh, fired up and uh, seeing God move. And uh, go back to another photograph. And let me see which, if I hit the jackpot with what I'm trying to say. Uh, I'll go the other direction. Yeah, here we go. So um, these guys, um, they were a result of our previous trip to uh, Osuna, um, where the guy that's kind of obscured at the back there, uh, I prayed for him in Sevilla. That's uh, Barcelona and Sevilla are far away from each other. And when I prayed for him, I said, you know, I think God's got some ministry plans for your life. And uh, he kind of like, well, I don't really think so. And, and that was the end of the prayer and end of my connection with him. Uh, a week after I'd agreed to speak in Barcelona, I get an email from Javi. And Javi says to me, you know, that prayer that you prayed like 18 months ago, I think God is doing something and he's stirring my heart for ministry. I would like to speak to you. I said, well, that's great. Uh, come up to Barcelona and I'll speak to you. So uh, he did. Uh, not only did he come, he came with these friends of his. And uh, the upshot of the conference was uh, uh, when Carlos Chacon, the guy from Costa Rica, did the last session, he said, how many of you people here in the conference uh, are in the process of starting a vineyard church? Now, let me just give you a context. That would be very similar to me saying to you guys today, okay, how many of you here in this audience uh, are thinking or in the process or, or desiring to, to plant a vineyard church in one of our surrounding towns? And, uh, you know, you guys would look around and say, well, exactly, uh, no one. Uh, and, and that's sort of been always the response on every previous trip. Uh, and this time, uh, there were four couples that came up. Uh, three were from Britain, uh, from the UK, and one was from, from Spain. Now, uh, Carlos, being culturally sensitive and being from Spanish-speaking world and from Costa Rica, he said to them, he said, this is okay, but it's not really good. We, we, we love you Brits, but, you know, we want to see Spaniards. So next, next year when I come back, I want to see four Spanish guys standing up here, no Brits. So you know, I guess it was encouraging sort of to the Brits, but it was really encouraging to the, the Spaniards. And then he said, okay, uh, how many of you guys here uh, feel like God is calling you or stirring something in your hearts to be part of planting a church in Spain or support somebody that wants to start or plant a church in Spain? And uh, then the response was like 30 people, including, uh, yeah, it was this whole group here. Uh, these people all said, yeah, we're into that, including my friends from Sevilla. Now, can you imagine 
if I said to you guys, okay, who's, who's part of uh, wanting to help churches get started and really feel like God's stirring in your heart? And yet 30 people from our audience, you'd be like, wow, how did that happen? So uh, that's more or less uh, was the feel of the conference where God was just uh, stirring some, some things up there. And uh, here are the guys from Sevilla. And the interesting thing is they all musicians, and they kind of scattered around the area. But uh, what I was trying to encourage these guys to do is to start a small group, to start a life group. They've got worship oozing out of them. I said, get together and pray and preach the Word of God to, to each other and encourage your friends to come. Uh, I mean, it's not rocket science. This is like the starting way you do plan churches. You gather people, you get together, you encourage people. And so uh, here they are, and, and they were fired up to do that. And I got an email from them uh, this week saying, hey, we just had our first group, and uh, it was really good, and we encouraged. And so I also invited them to say, hey, listen, if you want to come to the States, you, you've got a welcome to come stay at my house uh, and your houses. I uh, just extended the love all over. I said, we've got lots of houses here. People will put you up. They'll put you up for free. They all speak perfect Spanish. It'll just be great. So they said, okay, well, we'll probably show up at some point, so uh, get ready for that. Um, but if you go to those other ones that I back to sooner, this is uh, where we went 18 months ago, and we just had the chance to go back to where this is where Lance and, and Ronnie spent a lot of time praying. It's on the top of the, the town, uh, oversees the whole town. And uh, this time, something very significant took place. This man with the blue shirt is, just became a vineyard. Uh, he's from a town called, or really it's like a mini, I guess it's a town, a city, uh, Cordova. And Cordova is like uh, 45 minutes from uh, Osuna. And uh, he's asked us, he said, Rob, will your church in Hopkinton uh, partner with us? Can you guys help us uh, here in Cordova? Uh, can you, like, come over and bring some teams and help us? And uh, I thought, well, this is interesting. Uh, here people are actually asking us for input. Really remarkable. Now, he, there's actually a, a, a seminary in Cordova. He, he, he's a, he preaches at the seminary, uh, and he's, he's well-educated. He's got a great uh, church, which has now become a vineyard. And I said to him just... Uh, on the fly, I said, well, look, would you be interested in meeting us in Osuna? That's where we went and we did some work. And I was shocked when he actually showed up in Osuna. And um, the upshot of which, uh, Liz, do you want to go to that one where we're having lunch together? Uh, this is a very significant photograph. I know it means absolutely nothing to you guys. But this guy in the purple shirt, his name is Antonio. Uh, he is the man that God really just used mightily with me, we connected. He's an English-speaking teacher at the Catholic school in Osuna. And uh, this man is just a man of faith. Uh, he loves the Catholic Church. Uh, he really loves God. And he totally got what we were trying to do in Osuna, even though I didn't really get what we were trying to do in Osuna. Some other, he got what we, got, we were doing in Osuna. I mean, like he'd ask me questions like, why are you here in Osuna? And I said to him, well, this is kind of hard to explain. God gave me a dream to come to us sooner and stir it up. And uh, 
uh, I said, like, I don't really know what stir it up means, but we're here and we just want to pray for blessing on this town. And we want to just pray that God does something in your town of Asuna. And I just pray that God stirs it up. And uh, then Asuna is in southern Spain, which is hot. And one day it started snowing. And uh, that's very unusual. I think the last time it snowed in Asuna was like 1928. Uh, Antonio gets hold of me. He says, Rob, this is God. This is a sign from God that he's doing something. He's stirring it up. And I said, wow, he gets it, and I'm sort of slow to catch on. But yeah, you're right. And so, you know, we were praying for Spain, and and, um, there's a lot of stories I can tell you about Asuna. But suffice to say, when we left Asuna, uh, I I wasn't really sure what all had transpired, except that I now had a great friendship with this guy. Uh, But he phones me up, uh, emails me about, I don't know, it was about six months ago. He said, Rob, one of the things that you were praying for is that God was going to bless us sooner. And the unemployment rate is about 30% there. It's, it's very high, and people are really struggling, and they're really in dire straits. Uh, and he said, Rob, God is blessing us sooner. They're going to shoot, shoot a movie there. This uh, movie, this um, Game of Thrones, if you know what that ever is. I don't really follow that TV series. But anyway, Game of Thrones, they, that's where they're shooting it, right in Asuna. And of course, man, all the hotels are booked, and they got, like, they're employing all the carpenters, and, and yeah. So as soon as, so Antonio puts two and two together, they said, you see, because you came and because you prayed, God is stirring it up, and he's blessing Asuna. So, uh, you know, when we got there this time, Liz and I were walking through Asuna, and it's like, man, the paparazzi all standing outside the hotel trying to wait for like some actor to walk out. I'm like, wow, this is kind of crazy. I mean, the town has really been blessed. But, but what was really exciting for me was that this guy with the striped shirt, his name's Paco, the pastor. Paco and Antonio are now engaged, as you can see, in this dialogue. And the discussion is going like now in Spanish. So I'm totally out of the picture. I don't know what they're really talking about. But it's going something like this. Uh, Paco, so what exactly is an evangelical? Why exactly are the other churches that are getting planted? Uh, 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 what is it that Rob is actually trying to do here? Uh, and so, and then Paco says, well, I was Catholic. So what's wrong with being Catholic? Why, what do you mean you were Catholic? What is it that you're doing now? And uh, Paco's like, gently explaining, look, I, I really love the Bible, and I think it's another expression, and there's, you know, there's just another aspect of this, and, and Antonio is like pressing into that. And uh, so the upshot of which is, uh, Paco says, okay, I want to start working in this town of Asuna. I think we need to start a Bible study here because there isn't one in the town, and uh, I want to try and get some contacts that I have in this area. And uh, from his church, they want to work at planting a church or at least starting that process uh, in Asuna. Now, this may sound like small things, but I mean, when you've been going to the country for like 12 years, and all of a sudden you see all this start happening, it's really significant. Uh, Now, (laughs) I am doing a... uh, a series, and uh, I want to pick it up here today, give you a chance to actually find your way in the Bible to the book of Nehemiah. It's in the Old Testament. I recommend you look in your 
uh, index. Uh, if you're not familiar with where to find these books, I'm going to be reading chapter 1 and 2 of Nehemiah. Uh, but while you're working your way through your index to find Nehemiah, uh, let me just say that uh, we're in the middle of a series, and uh, I've titled the series a series on leadership, uh, and really leadership for firstly ourselves, how do we uh, get leadership from the Lord for our own lives, uh, how do we lead our families, how do we lead from a spiritual way in our uh, work environment, how do we lead in terms of uh, the vision that God has given us for church and for our towns, what is our role in that and what aspect of leadership uh, can we pick up uh, in this? Uh, today, um, well, let me just suggest if you haven't been part of the series, I encourage you to go online and, and listen to some of the previous topics. The first one that I did was from the book of Haggai, and uh, it was making leadership a priority. Uh, and the question is, what is a priority in your life, and how are you going to make that a reality? The second se uh, sermon was uh, leadership. Uh, talking about buildings, faith, and finance. Then Arely preached, and she spoke about Jesus and the temple, and what does that mean from leadership standpoint. And then Jeff preached last week on leadership and uh, obedience from Ezra 3. And uh, today I want to talk about leadership uh, and our heart. And uh, what I mean by that is trying to get God's heart for ourselves. I mean... Firstly, to try and grasp this very basic concept that God loves us a and really ask ourselves a question, do we believe that? And even more important, more importantly, do we experience God's love for us? I mean, this is really a fundamental question, uh, but it's really, it, it, it's vital. We need to experience God's love because it's the starting point. Once we've grasped this important um, principle of leadership that God really loves us, He's asking us to love those around us. Firstly, our family. Uh, and then sort of branching out from there, uh, those of our co-workers, uh, our fellow church participants. But you know, once you're in the kingdom, once you're part of church, once you're excited about God, I guarantee you, that God is going to stretch you. You are always going to feel like, wow, this is God, you just got so much for me. Because part of God giving us his heart involves, will you love your town? Will you love, if you live in Hopkinton, do, will, do you have a heart for Hopkinton? Uh, or if you live in Milford, do you have a heart for Milford? Uh, here's how you know if you've got a heart, God's heart for your town. If you don't have God's heart, you're just critical. You can find everything that's wrong. You're criticizing the politicians. You're criticizing the leaders. You're criticizing what's not right in your town. If you have God's heart, something changes. And all of a sudden, you find that you actually love the people in the town, and you're trying to figure out how do you make a difference for good. Instead of just complaining about everything, like how do you do something good? So case in point, small example, trunk or treat. Halloween, how do we do something good on Halloween? Well, we open our trunks and we delight the kids and we do something wholesome. And, and I saw Jeff sharing a story with a whole bunch of kids uh, 
taking uh, a pumpkin and explaining how, you know, you take all the yucky insides out and you put a light inside and that's the light of God and it's attractive and it's appealing. And all these young kids, just, you know, looking at that. And I thought, that's a whole lot better than running around slashing people's heads open with axes and watching the blood run out. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, one's just uplifting and one's not. I mean, kids are still getting plenty of candy and having a blast. So how do we share love, uh, God's love, to our town? So uh, one of the challenges I had now with my friend Javi in Barcelona is, okay, he's coming up, he's trying to figure out uh, how do you do stuff. And, um, you know, I, I thought, well, let me just try and put into practice for my own sake. And because I'm with Javi, how do we do some of this stuff? I mean, here we're both in a strange city, Barcelona. I, I don't know it, and he doesn't really know it. But there's one scripture that most people know, and that's, John 3.16, and in the New Living Translation, it says this, For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. I mean, you're familiar with that scripture. But let me just pause for a second. God loves the world. Okay, that means you. you part of the world. It also means... The Muslim. Okay, so I said to Javi, I said, Javi, okay, look, there's a little grocery store here we've been going to, and it's a Muslim guy that's running this grocery store, and I know that because he speaks English. <laughs> and the reason I know he speaks English is because I've been going to the grocery store, and I realize he speaks English, and I've spoken to him, and he's from Pakistan. And so, you know, uh, great relief for me, break from trying to speak Spanish, speak to my Muslim grocery store owner. Anyway, so we go back to the grocery store and uh, we buy a, an apple, a, a pear each and a, a soda. And uh, I get there and I say to this Muslim guy, I say, listen, do you know that Jesus loves you? Okay, now this is not like complicated. It's just risky. <laughs> and Harvey's looking at me <laughs> I can feel it, and I look at this Muslim guy, and I can see he's like, straight away, he's like getting defensive. I said, no, no, no. Do you know that Jesus loves you? And his response to me was, look, Allah is the most superior being in the whole world. He's over Christianity. Allah is number one. And I said, can I pray that Jesus blesses your grocery store, your family, you, well, Allah, Allah, I said, look, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm not trying to argue about theology or whatever. I just want you to experience the love of Jesus. And he looks at me like I'm from like some other place, which I am. And uh, <laughs> so finally, he's still talking, and I'm like, okay, you talk, I'll pray. Jesus just blesses grocery store, blesses man, blesses family, blesses everything he does. And finally, I stop, and he's like, wow, can I get your phone number? So I said, well, sure. He said, now, where are you from? So I said, Boston. And I can see he's looking at me like, where's that? I said, Boston. He said, like, where's Boston? I said, it's in America. And he looks at me and said, the United States of America? <laughs> this is not a friendly look. He's like, I said, yes, the United States of America. That's where Boston is. He says, take those pears. You can have them. It's my blessing to you. They're free. I said, wow, the fruit of the Spirit. This is cool. Harvey, let's go. We're... 
hey, look, I mean, we've got to love people, anybody. If God loves the whole world. He's not asking us to engage the whole world in a theological debate. He is asking us to love people, whether we agree with them, disagree with them. That's up to God to figure out how he's going to express his love to his people. What God wants to do is he wants to use you and he wants to use me to be faithful to what it is that he's doing. Uh, so that was sort of a skinny of our uh, time in Spain. We just had a lot of experiences like that. But before I get too sidetracked, whew, uh, let me just tell you what I'm trying to get at today out of this. My desire today is that uh, you would receive God's heart for you, that you would experience God's love for you. And not only would you experience God's love for you, that once you receive God's love, I know there's a natural outflow that God is going to give you a love for all those around you, your family, the church, your friends, your town. Uh, that's just the way it works. But it starts with you really experiencing God's love for you. So uh, given that that is beyond my control uh, to do, let me just pray, because that's what we do when we in a corner, right? We pray. Jesus, I just ask you to anoint my preaching. Uh, God, that you would do what only you can do. I can talk about your love, but uh, Lord, I can't have people experience your love. Uh, I just invite your presence here. I just ask you to anoint my preaching. And Lord, I just pray that uh, people would encounter and experience your love. Uh, despite all the objections, in your name, Jesus, amen. So uh, the book of Nehemiah, uh, let me read it to you, and I'll make some comments. If you've got a bulletin insert and you want to follow along with me, uh, there's a bunch of points I'm, I'm making here regarding leadership and uh, this section about God's love. But it starts off in chapter 1, verse 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakali, in the late autumn, in the months of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Now, let me just get ahead on to some modern day connection with all of that. Uh, this is in what's now Iran, and it is exactly this time of the year. It's November, December, and so here is this guy, Nehemiah, in this foreign country, and he's in this fortress area. And uh, in verse 2, it says, Hen and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. Now, Here's the way that God's heart and love works. Uh, in this particular context, uh, the Jewish people had been forced into exile into what's now modern-day Iraq and Iran. And uh, then, after 70 years, God has miraculously uh, allowed people to come out of exile, something that just doesn't happen in history, and to go back into Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple, which is what Jeff spoke about last week, and then to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, mostly the walls. And so here's this guy 
he's obviously inquiring, like, how's it going? I mean, he's Jewish, it's his people, and he's obviously curious to know, like, what's happening in his home country and how God is doing. Now, this is the way it works in many of you, your, your hearts and my hearts. When we receive the love of God in our hearts, something, I mean, it's like a mysterious thing. Something works in us. Like, whatever your heritage, heritage is, I mean, if you're Irish or Italian or British or, you know, from Lithuania or something, uh, there's something which stirs in you. Like, how do my ancestors do? Uh, there's some interest that you have in your lineage. I mean, you might trace it back to wherever, Brazil, Colombia. You know, and it's like, at some point, like, I'd like to go visit that place. I'd, I'd like to go to Italy and just, like, see what my roots are about. Or, you know, you're Irish. You just, things that are Irish just intrigue you uh, for whatever reason. I mean, somehow the God just has these links. He, he, he's given us a vein, so to speak, where we can go back to our countries of origin or our grandparents, and there's some soft spot we have for that place and those people. And uh, that's often the way God uses missions. You go back to ancestors or some connection that you have. And anyway, but in this particular case, it's not distance. It, it's right now, his people are moving back into Jerusalem, and he's basically saying, how's it going? And the report he gets back is terrible. He says, I asked him about the Jews who'd returned there from captivity and how things are going in Jerusalem. Just like you're going to be asking, how's your ancestors and how's it going in your country that you're from or, you know, of origin? And it's like, is it going well? Or, and you, there's some sort of intrigue. Uh, they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and in disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, here's the point. When God gets hold of your heart, something changes. Now, if God is not involved in your heart, it's like, okay, that's a report. You know, uh, yeah, my family in India, yeah, things aren't going well. Well, too bad, you know, uh, whatever. It's just no emotional connection. But when God is stirring something in your heart and you hear this, uh, it has emotional response. And to this guy, Nehemiah, his emotional response was pretty dramatic. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, I mourned. I fasted and I prayed to God of heaven. And then it starts telling what he does. I mean, the news is so disturbing to him that it causes him to weep. It causes him to fast. It causes him to pray. Now, often when we backed in a corner in our own personal lives, when we're like really asking for God's direction, like where we've got a major decision to make, or we just like completely broke and we need God to just like help us out, we resort to prayer and even better, prayer and fasting. When you realize that something's outside of your control, and you're asking for God to intervene. God, just show me the job. Show me the direction. Help me with the family. Help me with the problem I've got. Prayer and fasting is really a good idea. And that's what he does. Not because he's manipulated into it. Not because, you know, he's trying to twist God's arm. Not because of any of that. Nehemiah is just broken for his people. And in a similar kind of a way, uh, you know, when we ask God to do something impossible, which... What I'm leading up to here now, Nehemiah is going to ask his king to do something impossible. 
He's gonna, Nehemiah is about to risk his job. Totally, possibility he's going to lose that really cushy, great, well-paid, fantastic job because of this desire to see what's happening to these people in Jerusalem. He's going to put that on the line. Not only that, he's willing to put his life on the line. There's a high probability that Nehemiah is going to get killed because he's got passion for his people. So this is the, the direction he's going in. And he's thinking, I better pray. God, you're stirring my heart. I need your help. I need your direction. I need you, God, to do the impossible. In fact, God, I need you to do a miracle. Even more so, God, I need to get in alignment with what it is that you're doing and what's my role going to be in that. Now, in a not too dissimilar way, we as a church, as you know, are in a building uh, relocation, uh, building campaign where we're trying to raise funds for, the, for a new building. In fact, there's five things that are in the natural sort of impossible that we think, God, we need a miracle for. The one is, we need money. And, you know, I'm smart enough to know if I just say, hey, guys, you know, hey, we need a little bit of money. Can you put something in the offering? I'm not going to walk away tomorrow with $3 million. Probably. I mean, no, you might be quite generous. But normally, with most people of sizes, big, we... So we are looking for some sort of ridiculous miracle financially. Uh, we're also looking for a, a miracle that God would actually talk to us and say, where are we going to be located? Like, is it Milford? Is it Hopkinton? And then there's another miracle, like what building or place or facility is available? I mean, you can come up with all sorts of ideas theoretically, but practically, uh, how is that going to work? And then there's another miracle. We've got to sell this building. And then the fifth miracle is, God, you've got to do this all in perfect timing. I mean, it's not like we can, you know, run this facility, build another one. Uh, you know, we just don't have all that. So on the one hand, you can just get paralyzed and say, well, that's impossible. Uh, or you can say, I think God is up to something, which is what I think. And God, this seems like, man, you're going to have to do some pretty miraculous things to make this come about. Yes, you are. And I think God is. And so can we pray and can we fast for those that want to, that those that feel inclined, and say, God, I want to be part of what it is that you're doing. Help me to hear you. Help me to be able to you know, pray and to actually have my prayers heard and to be able to sense what it is that you're doing. So we're asking for the church corporately uh, in this season. Can we pray and can we fast and ask God for a miracle for the impossible, for God to do what only God can do. We realize, you know, we can't do these things. Now, let me get back into the story. Well, let me just encourage you. When Areli did the children's ministry, she gave them all little incy-wincy little piggy banks and said, hey, kids, I know you're only two years old, but hey, have fun. Throw a few pennies in this thing because I want everybody to be part of this building thing. I don't want to exclude the kids. And the kids all brought their pennies in. And uh, we counted it up, and it was 230 bucks or something. I mean, incredible. So, you know, I'm like, go kids. I mean, I don't want the kids to be left out. I mean, they, everybody's part of this. I'm saying, you know, it's not equal dollars. I'm not asking a kid to come with $10,000. As for equal sacrifice, and for a kid, that's fun. They put a few pennies in there, and they bring it up, and they're part of it. Great. I'm excited for them. Anyway, um, so let me pick up the rest of the story. So then 
Nehemiah, uh, he prays, and he, he basically says, look, verse 7, God, look, we, we messed up. We sinned, and I know that your heart is one of love. If we come right with you, uh, things will go well for us. So let us clean up our act, and then you will bless us. And, and then in verse 11, it says, O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. So you have prayers. We ask God, please hear our prayer. The way God hears our prayers is through, often it's through prayer and fasting and getting our lives right with God. And then it says, listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Cupbearer, cushy job, high standing, and now he's going to go to the king, and he's going to say to the king, hey, listen, I need something from you. Uh, in chapter 2, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was a servant. I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. If you did, you were likely to be killed. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified. No kidding. Okay, here's the moment. The king is going to decide either he's going to grant favor or he's going to kill you. <laughs> nice position. Your job is on the line. Your life is on the line. I, then I was terrified. But I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, how can I help you? And then he's still praying under his breath. With a prayer to the Lord of heaven, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city. And then it carries on. He's ready thought this through. He's got a great plan. He knows what to ask the king. You know, incredible details. And the king basically says yes. So let me just summarize this in your bulletin insert. If we'll go through these on the, on the screen here. The first start is God gets hold of our hearts. Uh, this is leadership from the heart. And there's a sense of weeping. There's a sense that we identify. The next part is prayer and fasting. The next thing that happens in the story, which we can relate to, is getting in touch with our own sin. I mean, the things that we do that offend God and making it right. Then he reminds ourselves of the way it works. And what I mean by that is that God really loves us. We need to remind ourselves that, yeah, we've messed up, but God loves us. Uh, the next step is God hears the prayers of those who delight in him. God hears the prayers of the righteous. God hears the prayers of those who have repented. God hears them. It's okay to ask for a miracle. And it's okay to wait for the right timing. I mean, Nehemiah was pondering this from the fall right until the spring. It was the spring. It was the right timing. And he said, okay, now I need to respond. It might involve putting your job on the line. It might involve putting your life on the line. It invariably will require the desire to say, use me. And it's helpful to think this through and have a plan. Not all of a sudden when God moves like, I've got no clue what to do now. No, Nehemiah thought it through. He had a plan. I want to finish um, 
with another story from Spain because God is asking all of us in some way to respond to him. It's not just okay to hear the word of God. God is actually asking us to put it into, uh, into practice. Now, I don't know why things were working this way in Spain, but they were. Uh, so we're having dinner at the mall, at a restaurant, and there's a young lady that's serving us, and she's like in her young 20, uh, early 20s. And uh, she takes her order, and she's been very nice. And then there's some other young guy who's just like busting the tables, and he, he zips by to pick up our dirty plates, and he takes them. And as he takes them, I feel like, Lord, tell me, you need to speak to this guy. And, and what I need to say to this guy is, God loves you, and he's got a plan for your life. So uh, I, I tell him that, and he's a little taken aback, and he just takes a plate, and he, he kind of thinks that's cute. So he runs over to the waitress who was serving us, and he says, hey, this is what happened. That guy over there, that weirdo over there, he said, God loves me, and he's got a plan for my life. And, and he runs over the plates, and he goes over well, that lady who was really our waiter, she comes over now, she's got tears in her eyes. And she comes over and she says, what about me? Does God love me? She said, does God have a plan for my life? Now, okay, now, let's think about that. This is not rocket science. But the answer is yes. <laughs> so I said, yes. <laughs> not like the most intelligent answer, just like the obvious answer. Yes, he does. She said, well, I've been working at this restaurant seven days a week, all the time. I make very little money. I can hardly make ends meet. I'm only 21 years old. My life ahead just looks like this. This is boring. It's a dead lost job. I, I'm stuck. There's no way out. Do you really believe God has a plan for my life? I said, I really believe God has a plan for your life. I said, here's the thing. You need to take a risk. You need to come to church tomorrow morning. I'll be there. I'll meet you there. And she's like, where's church? And I'm like, just around the corner. I explain it to her. She said, okay, let me go talk to that other guy. And she goes speak to the other guy, and she talks to him. And he said, okay, we'll be there tomorrow. Now, if you've ever invited somebody to church, let me ask you, what's the probability of them showing up the next time? Exactly. Exactly that. That was my experience. The next day, no show, right? So that Sunday night, we're back in the mall, and she's back working her tail off. And I go up to her, and I put my arm around her, and I said, listen, God really loves you. I said, but things are not going to change in your life unless you take the next step. And the next step is you need to get to church. Now, unfortunately for this girl, I'm not going to be there next week. So there's no one, like she's not going to know any faces when she goes there. If she does nothing, I think God's still going to love her. But I don't know that things are going to change in her life. We need to respond to what God is doing in our lives. Uh, we've got to take some next step. That's faith. That's what God expects us to respond. So I want to just have a chance now to do communion. And I'll give you a chance to respond. But in taking communion, really what we're doing is we're responding to God's love. God is saying, I died on a cross for you. I am pouring out my love for you. I know that you're not perfect. I know all the things you do that are not perfect. God is very aware of that. And he's saying, despite that, I still love you. What God is asking of us is to recognize that we are not perfect. In other words, we are sinners. And to recognize that by him dying on the cross, he has forgiven us our sin. I mean, this is an incredible act of love on God's behalf. And in taking communion, we are reminding ourselves of that invitation. 
that's what it's all about. So why don't we have the worship team come on up and uh, uh, in fact, why don't you stand? I'm going to make you do something very uncomfortable. Grab someone's hand uh, next to you. Uh, just symbolically of extending love to your neighbor. I know this is like high risk. Love your neighbor. I mean, I know this is very like culturally whatever, not touchy-feely. You know, we just don't grab people's hands or people we don't know. So, Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you love us and you love us, Lord. You love us because you made us. You love us because you just made us in your image. And, Lord, we, we know that we are not perfect. And yet, God, you overlook that. You just ask us to apologize, to confess our sin, to say we're sorry, and you love us. And so, Lord, we take communion today knowing that you love us. Uh, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, if you're behind the pole, go that way. There's stations that way. If you're in front of these poles, these pillars, come forward. Uh, help yourself to communion. If you uh, first time today, you're welcome to take communion. If you don't know how this works, just watch somebody around you. Uh, if you don't want to take communion, don't feel obligated. Uh, bless you guys. Come on up.